going to say this one from here, Jono. Oh, <laughs> you had the last intro. Damn, he's got me. <laughs> Episode 20 of The Transition, this season number one. 20. We've decided on 20 episodes. We committed to 20 episodes. We've freaking done 20 episodes. We've got a very special guest today, but probably for some context, we were thinking of taking a quick break after this one. Yeah. Reformatting, coming back with some plans for a bigger and better transition. Definitely. You on board? Yeah, I'm totally on board. We've we've done really well, like 20 episodes, man, and it's been an absolute blast. I've enjoyed every single one, the solos, one with the guests as well. It's been a real trip. Um, I really enjoy this medium, and I'm excited to take a break, essentially develop a little bit of content around what we've what we've done, and then yeah, build some learn guests. Learn how to use the computer. Learn how learn how to use the computer. <laughs> we are still in my room, by the way. We've gone from Alex's kitchen to my room, um, but yeah. Today's episode, to cut to the chase, is very exciting. Yes. Uh, well, I've been wanting to talk to this man for a very long time, actually. Me too, personally and podcast-wise. Yeah. What a legend. So, the, <laughs> the man that we have on the show, Mr. Drew Duez. Now, someone... So, Drew, for me, has been basically just a one big ball of inspiration from the get-go. Um, went, to, went to school together, and from the... From the very get-go, I've always seen you as a person that's on the same track as me in terms of personal growth, you know, self-discovery, um, you know, striving for success, doing new things, pushing the body to all different types of limits. And, you know, you've, you've been very inspiring and I know it works both ways for us and we've got a great relationship around growing and becoming better humans. So... It's awesome to have you on the podcast. And yeah, you're welcome, brother. And just to set the intention uh, for today, I see this podcast for listeners, I see this podcast being um, an insight into Drew's story, essentially where he's come from uh, and where he is now. Uh, and the spaces I definitely like to go down is entrepreneurial. Yeah. Uh, you know, what's it like being an entrepreneur? Because Drew is one. Um, what's it like starting up a business? Uh, Drew is very closely tied with the founders of Shine, which is, you know, Drew will go into this, but it's basically an energy, uh, it's, it's a healthy energy drink. And, you know, started from the ground up. I'd love to hear his story on Shine. And last but not least, Drew is, is planning for an Ironman. Now, I'm not sure if he still is in the, in the works of, uh, doing doing an Iron Man, yeah, but we're gonna yeah, we will hear the story. So where do we want to where do we want to start off? I think like I want to start off with that story. With the story. When you man. walked in today, I said, "How are you?" And Jono's like, "He's not great." <laughs> what's oh, going yeah. on, Drew? Because I don't know the context. If yeah. you're comfortable telling us what's going on, totally. What's happening? Yeah, I mean, like to give to give some context. I think um, you know the Iron Man thing was interesting because when I think back to about November last year was the first time when um, I kind of said to Steve Chapman, who is a guy who's mentored me through a lot of shine and, and whatnot, and just, you know, a close mate, I was like, hey, you know, it'd be pretty cool to do a full Ironman in like six months kind of thing, right? We've always kind of been into testing the body, the, the mental aspect of it and, and whatnot, just doing, you know, pretty, pretty crazy stuff. And so I knew Steve would be like, yeah, let's do it. And then pretty much started started getting into the training and whatnot. And then 
I, I mean, like, the Iron Man's interesting. I really thought about this deeply. Um, I think most people, you know, we all live lives of, we want to be significant. Like, you know, what can we do to be significant, right? Because everyone, everyone tells themselves a story, right? Mm. Like, and, you know, Danny Kahneman kind of talks about this. A lot of satisfaction is derived by the memories you collect through life. So Danny Kahneman, just, just for some context, he won the Nobel Prize for um, economics. Um, and he's one of the probably most profound researchers um, in, in the space. Um, and, you know, you collect memories because you want to be able to look back at these memories. It's why people travel. They go, those would be awesome memories to have kind of thing. And there's some interesting kind of insights in his work. But I think, you know, Iron Man was another thing where it's very individualistic, um, once again. And you can argue that how much individualism should you have versus collective vocation and doing stuff for others and all this type of stuff. But right now, that's something that we're in. And then, yeah, we went full in. I don't think Steve and I can ever kind of go half in. Um, it's just part of the personality. And, um, yeah, so we had Port Macquarie, half Ironman, which Steve actually competed in. I couldn't do it because um, throughout the training, on the Friday when I went up, started getting just this kind of pain in my chest and in my ribs. I actually just thought it was rib strain kind of thing. So yeah. I was just going, you know, that's who cares kind of thing. Just, you know, take some painkillers, the usual stuff like anyone would kind of probably do right. And then it got a lot worse. So then went to medical center, got ECG. It was abnormal ECG. Um, and then had to go to emergency and then went through all that type of stuff. Got tested for, you know, the, the typical stuff in emergency. So, you know, heart attack stuff, which I definitely didn't have. But ended up with a diagnosis called pericarditis. So it's effectively where you have fluid around the heart. And um, mm. it feels kind of like you're having a heart attack. I hear, like I haven't had a heart attack. But yeah. it, similar symptoms. So a lot of pressure in the chest, a lot of pain and, and whatnot. And therefore, saw a cardiologist um, effectively um, yesterday or two days um, ago and confirmed the diagnosis. So it's kind of now, I guess... It's an interesting junction point because there, and we can kind of go into this, but I mean, it's how much do you let your ego talk? I mean, everyone's got an ego, right? Mm -hmm. And it's a hard one. Like, do you, I mean, if I'm being candid, right? Like, I feel like I built an identity through high school and trying to be tough, right? Like, mm. I got tattoos, right? Lame tattoos. Um, and, you know, I went to the gym and I built an identity based on, you know, being good at sport um, and, yeah, being tough because I didn't really want, you know, people to say stuff to me kind of thing because of whatever reasons. So, anyway, yeah, that's that's kind of how so it is. So, a.k.a. some serious shit has gone down yeah. in the last week or yeah, so totally. with you. Um, I wow. guess... I'd love to. I'd love to say, like, why did you decide to do an Ironman in the first place? Because yeah. how long has it been so far in terms of preparation? Like four or five months? Um, four yeah, months? really. Like since probably January, we really started. So since January, you know, you're you're a good like five months in. Yeah. Right. Four so to when, five when months. When was in. the uh, proposed date for the full Ironman? It's next month. Next month. That's not a long time to train for an Ironman. No, it's short amount. To be honest, and well, yeah. from January to ne next month, yeah. yeah. Well, you reckon that's a short amount of time? Is that a short amount of time for Ironman? Yeah, I would because I mean, Ironman just I mean, the distances are you know, 3.8 kilometer swim, 180 kilometer bike ride, and then a marathon at the end. 
It's huge. So, yeah. It's fucking a, huge. It's a huge amount of exercise, but, you know, an important aspect of it, I, I like to kind of reason through first principles. First principles is an idea that comes from physics. Elon Musk often talks about it. And it goes, what do you know to be true based off evidence, right? So you kind of go, like, take an example of an electric car kind of thing, right? Like, you know, we know to build an electric car that you need to have AC induction, all these type of things. You work up basic scientific principles kind of thing, right? So if you look at an Ironman, basic principles that underlie it is you need muscular endurance to be able to, you know, go the distance because you're tearing. You've got, you got these micro tears in your muscles, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're doing all the exercise um, and, and whatnot. And then you need to know nutrition. You need to be able to, you know, optimize your aerobic capacity because you're not you're not competing in an anaerobic zone, right? Like you're going, I need to be in a heart rate that's like 140 beats per minute or less, mm-hmm. right? Because for 11 hours. Yeah, potentially mm-hmm. 11 hours, right? Because you know, if you go above that into lactate, you're going to burn all your glycogen um, and all this type of stuff. And then, yeah, I, I completely changed my diet as well um, during so, that period. To what? Um, so the context here, because when we talk diet. Diet's funny because it's kind of like religion, in my view, because everyone's got skin in the game. Yeah, yeah, Everyone eats, Mm. so everyone has an opinion on what to eat, right? 100%. So my view is the most important thing, and these are just my kind of opinion on this, is that you need to know the context, right? Like, if someone asks me, hey, you know, what should I eat? I go, all right, well, you know, what's, like, what are you hoping to achieve, right? Mm, And then, you know... I think an interesting concept is should not most people be optimizing for longevity? I think like to live a high quality life or standard of, of living, meaning when I'm 80, will I be able to still, you know, effectively run or will I still be able to, you know, not have hypertension or I'll be able to manage my blood glucose effectively, right? Like there's this concept that Annie Duke um, has come with. So Annie Duke wrote... Um, <clears throat> uh, thinking in bets, right? And then it's a really good book, right? But she has this notion of backcasting. So obviously forecasting is going uh, forward. Backcasting is at age X, I want to be able to do X, Y, and Z, right? Like I want to be able to squat down because I need to pick up my, like my grandchild, etc. Right? So you kind of go and work backwards reverse, reverse engineer, engineer the process. So I think backcasting is interesting um, from a, a diet standpoint as well. Um, but obviously right now I wasn't optimizing for longevity. I was optimizing for how do I most efficiently complete an Ironman based on the requirements of, of an Ironman event, right? And what I know to be true from the evidence is pretty much as follows, right? Like effectively, I don't want to be reliant on taking gels. And the reason for that is... You know, based on what we know, you need to consume roughly 90 grams per hour of carbohydrates to really kind of replenish at least half of what you're losing. Yep. The problem with that is you get a lot of gastrointestinal um, discomfort from doing that. Um, so then you ask your question, how could I metabolically shift the percentage of fuel utilization? So if I'm not fat adapted, it means that there's something called the respiratory quotient. So it pretty much tells you how much fat you burn at rest. And then you can measure at different exercise intensities what percentage of your fuel, right, or your energy, sorry, comes from either carbohydrates or fat, right? So then if you think about that, 
I asked myself the question, how do I shift, right, to burn more fat? Because technically I could do like 51 marathons. Even if I'm like at 7% body fat, right, yeah. you have enough fat. Like the analogy often given is, you know, like um, at the Bowser, the fuel Bowser, like when you have a big like petrol um, tank come in, right, that fills everything up. Yeah. The funny thing is it's got like hundreds of thousands of liters of petrol right on the back. But if it was to run out of petrol, it's because of that tiny little fucking tank, right, that gets it going kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like the human body, right? If you run out or you metabolically fail in an Ironman, right, it's not because you've run out of, like, fat fuel. It's because you've completely hosed yourself because you've effectively, you know, not trained your body to burn fat to utilize during exercise. It's not, um, I've not run out of fat that's on my belly. I've Correct. run out of fat that's available to be used yeah. immediately. Plus, you've, yeah, you've bumped. You, you've run out of pretty much glycogen. Bumped, right? is that the uh, yeah, medical that's, term? That's the, that's the official kind of term. <laughs> so the, the thing you've got to look at, right, is that you want to be able to shift or become more metabolically <laughs> flexible so you can burn fat at a higher um, exercise intensity. Therefore, second order consequence is that you don't have to take as many gels. If you don't have to take as many gels, less likely to, you know, have gastrointestinal problems. So there's an interesting kind of thing, but uh, I'm digressing kind of from your question. Yeah, um, well, <laughs> what you, bloody, you bloody have. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 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 you're really fucking yeah, digress, yeah, yeah, yeah. Drew Duez. My so, question, say my question but what's interesting is that, like, for, for the listeners, yeah. you made a conscious decision to change to a very ketogenic diet. I'd say low carbohydrate, so high fat. Pretty extremely yeah. low, extremely low carbohydrate, high fat, and moderate protein. Moderate protein. So I'd define the criteria um, just to make sure that we don't lose the nuance. Like, ketogenic, right, I would argue is pretty much like, less than 50, 20 grams of carbohydrate. It's about 80% fat. Like Yeah, like it depends what you... I mean, the original Atkins diet was like 90% keto kind of thing. Yeah. Um, now, I mean, we can go down a rabbit hole. Um, I probably There's controversial things that I believe based on the evidence. Um, for example, I don't believe that saturated fat has been shown to cause cardiovascular disease. Um, I don't think there's good evidence to support that. Um, but I also believe... That, you know, one of the biggest things that I kind of struggle with is, like, this notion of, and I know people um, speak about it all the time, right? Like, is a calorie in equals a calorie out? Or put another way, more scientifically, right, is that a calorie, each calorie, doesn't matter where it comes from, exerts the same metabolic effect on your body, and I believe that to be categorically incorrect. Um, I don't believe that... That is true. However, let me add nuance and whatnot to this. Most of the research says if you're eating in a calorie deficit, right, it's, that's where you get a lot of the benefits, right? Like you don't get all this hepatic um, glucose issue and, you know, all these type of things. Like if you can lose even just, you know, 10% of some of your, uh, your body weight kind of thing, um, you get significant improvements. So if we take the 80-20 mental model, right, you can get so many benefits from eating in a calorie deficit and that's where like flexible dieting comes from it optimizes body composition but it goes back to my first point what are you optimizing for because if you're optimizing for longevity i don't agree that that's the best way to eat i would argue that the best i mean it depends what you're looking at but like say for example you know a diabetic right a diabetic um who doesn't have the capacity 
to really control their blood glucose effectively. So, like, I mean, everyone who probably listens to this knows, I guess, how it kind of works. But, you know, when you release blood glucose, right, your body releases insulin to effectively stimulate something called the GLUT4 um, cell. So it translocates to the top of the cell and then it effectively brings in the blood glucose, right, and that drops your blood glucose kind of thing. Now, the problem is when you become insulin resistant, right, it takes more and more blood glucose to actually effectively trigger that response um, and therefore you, you run into these kind of issues, right? So um, my kind of view is, you know, why would you prescribe still, you know, high carbohydrates to a diabetic? And I think in those instances, it's interesting. Well, there's at least an argument to look at lower carbohydrate um, potential diets and, and whatnot. And then, I mean, from a cognitive well, if you look at a neuropharmacological standpoint, um, keto is an efficient fuel system. So, like, if you look at what your brain can use um, from an energy source, you've obviously got glucose, which can cross the blood-brain barrier. Uh, it's lactic acid um, can be used as well. It's actually quite an efficient uh, energy source. Um, and then also ketones. So ketones can pass the blood-brain barrier. And the really interesting thing, actually, in diabetes is that you can... so. When you're a diabetic, right, and you're more inefficient at using uh, glucose as an energy source, your brain, there's something called, it's effectively hypometabolism, right, in the brain of glucose, because it's not very efficient at using yeah. it. But what's really interesting is that there's actually distinctly different pathways that the, ketoge uh, the ketones um, access in the brain. Um, so what that effectively means, or, or said another way effectively, is that, you know, if you put someone on a diet or even potentially using exogenous ketones, things like beta-hydroxybutyrate, which is just effectively connected with salt and whatnot. Do you know what that is, Alex? I wrote the book on beta-hydroxybutyrate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Not? Yeah. Connected with salt. Yeah. yeah, and I wrote the foreword. <laughs> but effectively, it can be an efficient pathway for energy um, use utilization because you haven't effectively hosed that, that pathway. So anyway, but like this is a long conversation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right? I still haven't answered my question yet, but it's okay. Yeah, yeah, we'll yeah. get there. We're slowly trekking there. So it's really hard. Like, like to kind of summarize that, I think it really depends on what the person's trying to achieve, medical history. Yeah. I'm, I'm obviously not a, I mean, my background's in uh, applied science and, and whatnot. So none, like, you have to see doctor. wouldn't have picked you for a scientist. Yeah, me, me either. <laughs> no, I thought maybe construction, yeah, yeah, maybe yeah, some yeah. of the arts. All right. Because yeah, we had a conversation about this like yeah. four months ago about the perfect diet thing. Yes. And it was all, a lot of that conversation was about what are you looking to get out of it? Mm. Yeah. Because we talked about the flexible dieting thing. Yeah. And a lot of the people we know in the sort of fitness industry who are pushing the whole, mm. you know, I'm eating a box of Krispy Kremes today, but I'm shredded, that, yeah. that sort of thing. Totally. But in terms of long body composition, these yep. people are crushing it. But in longevity, yep. you know, what do your insides look like if you're, mm -hmm. if you're in a 200 calorie deficit every day, but you're drinking a bottle of Coke and eating all these burgers and that yep. kind of stuff, like this could really be messing you up long term. I think you're pretty hungry as well. Like, right. Like, cause they're not, satiating at all you know what I mean like like no. if you just drink you could technically drink Diet Coke all day but you'd still be fucking hungry right and then it's more yeah. likely as well that you'll then go into a calorie surplus because you're not full right so you're just gonna eat, eat more shit eat more shit effectively so yeah so it's about the quality of the, the food you're eating yeah essentially okay. and going back to like what we talked about a minute before we started the podcast was mm. myself personally I'm not following any sort of quote diet but 
Uh, I try to get the best quality I can, yep. wherever I can, because that shit keeps you fuller for a lot longer. Like last yep. night I had chicken stock for dinner, mm. pretty much. I was feeling a bit run down, mm. and I made like a bone broth yesterday from a free range chooks, from some organic vegetables and some filtered water. Yeah. And I was feeling rock and roll, you know? Mm. I was uh, feeling really, really good, and it kept me really full, whereas I've just had a massive burger from a mate's shop, <laughs> which is amazing, but I know for a fact that yeah. in a couple of hours' time... You'll be hungry. Yeah, sure. it's... it's um, not necessarily as nutrient dense, and that's what yeah. we're really going for in you know, Ironmans and mm. that that most, getting the most bang for your buck out of your food, I suppose. Mm. Yeah, totally. totally. So back to my original question. Yeah, yeah. Why? Why <laughs> did you decide to do an Ironman? Yeah, cool. I'll, I'll like, answer it this like, time. We really need to get lucky, to that right? point. Like, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's a good question. Um, and it's hard. Thanks for basically yeah, saying yeah. I'm great at asking questions. <laughs> it's hard not to um, distort. It's hard to like give the answer without, you know, coloring it in a way that makes you look great or whatever it is, right? Yeah. Like, like if, if you were to do that, if yeah. you were to give that answer, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 it is great. It's yeah, it fucking is great. great. Like, well, you're not blowing smoke up your own ass by saying I yeah, can. Yeah. I reckon I could probably do an Iron Man. Yeah. I, I reckon I probably couldn't right now. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. Right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you think you could, that's awesome. Mm. So for the people listening who are mm. on a transition, a health journey, yeah. whether it's mental or physical, right? It's something to look towards. Like yeah. th- these are all goal setters. Yeah. You set a goal of doing Iron Man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why did you set that goal? I think it's always. Um, I really love the quote from T. S. Eliot where it's like. Um, <laughs> You can only, like, it pretty much, and I'll probably butcher it, but, you know, he kind of says, um, one can only find out how far one can go by kind of testing their limits, right? Um, um, Oh, sorry, no, it's actually only, only those who can, who risk going too far can possibly find out how far one can go, is the correct kind of that. Um, So, for me, it's always pushing the boundaries, um, I mean, to... (laughs) David Goggins is an interesting cat, but I like the concept of the cookie jar, right? Like, it's these things that you can look back your remembering self that I kind of alluded to and go, yeah, you know, life maybe is not just predicated on how much time you spend here. Maybe it is based on this, how much did we achieve? How much did we contribute? Um, And this is my kind of personal philosophy to always push our, our limits, to push what we think we're capable of because I mean like you know something analogous to this and I've thought about this right now I'm trying to learn to and tie it back I promise uh, I'm trying to learn I reckon we just that, do this whole podcast it. around that was where, nice. why it is he's getting to it he's slowly getting to it I, I try to we can call it one question yeah. with Andrew, with Andrew <laughs> one question Andrew West why did you decide to do an Iron Man yeah yeah, yeah no, well like <laughs> I get the point. Like you're an what? experiment. You're a scientist doing, and you are your own biggest experiment. And I love. I mean, that's a good point. Like if I think about uh, some of the values that um, I hold closely, one of them is um, performance, right? Mm. And, and looking at, you know, that's actually another where I've built some identity. So it's kind of like, what can I do in the exercise sports science world? How do I test that? And this is a great way to test it, right? Through Ironman, like it's a endurance event that really strains your body um, and, and your mind. Um, and once again, it adds to significance, right? Like it's something mm. that definitely gives me confidence um, 
a massive introvert. Um, I like to you know, spend time by myself. Uh, Speak louder when you say yeah, that, Drew. No. <laughs> the introvert in you is really quietening down. It's funny when you say that word, how you end up going down. But yeah, so, and it is a really solo event, right? Like yeah. it is, you're in your head the whole time, right? Like the bike ride is probably going to take between five and six hours, right? So you need to tell yourself, like, why the fuck are you doing it, right? Like the questions arise when you're hurting, you're in a shitty position the whole time, like, why the hell am I doing this, right? Like, you have to... Viktor Frankl, those that have a why, right, can bear almost any how, was his quote out of Man's Search Meaning. And, um, you know, what is your why? It's a platitude that fucking everyone says now, but it's a question you should ask yourself. And um, for me, my answer always comes down to things like, you know, if you can take it, you can make it. That was... Uh, a thing that Louis Zamberini used to always say. You can take it, you can make it. Yeah. I like that. Um, That's one thing I say to myself and just always stay in the fight. And then it's also connected to um, my cousin who's got AOS. Um, Here we go. This is uh, the real reason. I mean, it's part of it. I would like to say it's the real reason, but there's an ego selfishness (laughs) to what I want to do as well. Um, well, you're experimenting you know, with your own limits, which is totally. which is normal when somebody decides to do an Ironman. Like you, know, you it's like you said, it's a solo sport. There's lots going on, yeah. uh, both in the head and also the body on day on the day and all the days you know, prior <coughs> yeah. to that to that actual um, event. But I, because I've known you, I've known you for a long time, and I've known you also in this preparation of the Ironman. Yeah. And I, I, I kind of feel like it's, you're, you're answering a question, but it's in a roundabout sort of way. Mm. And the, like, the big part of this is that you know, is your uncle, obviously, is your uncle, your cousin. Your cousin. Father, yeah, yeah. And just go into like, some of the conditions that he, or the condition that mm. he faces and, and why you really decided to step up mm. uh, on this journey, as well as your own kind of significance and your own, yeah. can I do this? Yeah, so to give some context... Um, in this whole thing, there's a book called um, The Second Mountain by David Brooks. He actually uh, initially wrote Road to Character. It was um, um, a really popular book that I think a lot of people have read now and definitely recommend it. Um, but The Second Mountain is this idea of are you climbing Mountain 1 or are you climbing Mountain 2? And it's a metaphor, right? Mountain 1 is predicated on this idea of individualism, of goal setting of ambition and it's all about the individual right now that's how i've lived a lot of my life if i'm completely honest um whereas mountain two is based on a vocation it's for others and arguably where you find the most joy right like the the research um kind of says that happiness can be attained through the goal attainment things and it's very transient right like if i do an Ironman, I feel great for the next few days mm. kind of thing and all that type of stuff. But true joy often comes through sacrifice for others. Yeah. Um, so I'm constantly or I'm more cognizant, I would say, of how do I regress to the mean in that how do I include more second mountain things? And for me, one of those second mountain um, ideals that I wanted to bring into this was through, unfortunately my cousin who was diagnosed with um, AOS, so motor neuron disease. And when you think about this carefully, right, say you, if you just create a thought experiment for a second, right, 
say you're diagnosed with some sort of disease, right? And, you know, it's, it's life-threatening, for example, right? Now, one of the first things that you'll probably do is you'll look up the survival rate, right? And you'll go, mm, yeah, I've caught it at stage one, right? I'm an 80% survival rate. Yeah. Automatically, you've put yourself in that 80%. No one's going, fuck, I'm 20%, I'm completely hosed here, right? Yeah. You're optimistic, right? Now, that's thought experiment one. Thought experiment two is you're diagnosed with a disease that has never had a cure and has a zero survival rate. I would argue that you have effectively, in that moment, potentially lost all hope, right? It is... I could, I could not necessarily ever claim to know what that feels like. It can only intellectualise what that might feel like. And that's AOS, zero survival rate, <clears throat> no cure, right? And, you know, life expectancy is between two and three years post-diagnosis. And the worst thing, really, when you think about it, um, if, you, if you know the disease, is that it is so insidious because you don't know who gets it. It is extremely rare. And the problem is your whole body shuts down but here's the rub, like, your brain doesn't. Yeah. You're completely entombed inside mm. your body, right? You can't eat, you can't speak, right? The brain functions perfectly up until the point that That's doesn't. Sick. That's right? a sick, sick yeah. disease. So you kind of go, and this is what I've thought about and what I'm working towards, this idea of one survivor, right? Like, if you could create one survivor, right, you would infuse hope back into the equation is, is my view on things. So perhaps for me, um, Iron Man, and I'd just like to say in general, like I like long distance anything. I think entrepreneurship is long distance. I think like reading is a long distance mm. game. I think everything long is good <laughs> in my view. Short term, I, I prefer long term in every general instance of, of life. And I think for this, um, this is another long-term game for me um, and I think if I can you know somehow contribute to um, this organized organization or this mission to understand the disease and help cure it through yeah this then that would make me immensely proud have you read the uh, diving bell and the butterfly no I haven't actually this is a book right this is the most incredible book you'll ever fucking read so it's about 100 pages long it's a very short book and it's written by a guy who was the editor of like Vogue Paris, like French Vogue, 20 years ago. And he got motor neuron disease. Yeah. And he shut down. And he is this incredibly smart writer. And he is a kind of guy, successful dude. It never happened to me. And then it does. And he's in hospital. And he's written this book. Yeah. By devising a system with his nurses where they have kind of like a, a keyboard mm. written out and they go like this and they pull their finger along and he blinks when it stops at a letter. Mm. Well, he's got one eye and mm. he, he blinks when it stops at a letter. Mm. And they write it one letter at a time, this fucking autobiography kind of thing. Yeah. And it's an astoundingly good book and he's wow. written it with one eye. Oh my God. Blinking. Diving Bell and the Butterfly. And it's, it's so inspiring, man. Just for, mm. yeah. and, and for your cousin as well. Like mm. uh, this bloke, he doesn't get better, but he leaves mm. a freaking... When there was... No hope left. He left a legacy. Yeah. And it's a, it's like a heartbreakingly good book, man. Mm. So, so good. Thanks so, so good. Yeah, totally read that. Um, yeah. Mm. 
That's an amazing ride to be able to write the book through. Well, that's I mean, the thing, isn't it? You're, yeah. you're, you know, he's not the one survivor, but like, yeah. you know, through that attitude of you said you get diagnosed with a terminal illness and instantly hope is gone. Here's a guy who was like, mm. maybe it's not completely. Maybe I can yeah. still give something mm. out of this, and he did, and it's amazing. Yeah. You know, so if you if you can divert some sort of attention to your cousin or to the disease or anything through through the stuff you're doing, and now mm. here's the thing. Yeah. You've just been potentially diagnosed with pericarditis, that sort of thing. Yeah. What's your plan, in regards to this this whole? Yeah, I think. Um, well, I what have the doc? What have the doctors said? Okay, yeah. so. I um I would say, and I probably should have said this at the outset, I have everyone has biases and I think it's important to know your own biases because a bias I has once been described by Kahneman as like an optical illusion. So I'll give you an example, right? There's often an optical illusion that I think everyone's seen. I'll try and draw it so people can imagine it. So you have two lines, right? Line one or line A, line B, right? Below it, yep. They're exactly the same size and length, but at the end of the line, you either have arrows going inwards or arrows going outwards, yeah. right? And it looks like one's longer than the other, right? Yeah. But they're exactly the same. And you have to pull out your fucking ruler just to prove that it's exactly the same, right? A bias is kind of like the same. You can see it and understand like that it's you know effectively a bias, but it doesn't... like you still It's still like this illusion right, that you can't shake off. So I think you just always have to be cognizant of your biases. So I've got a lot of biases, right? And, you know, one of them is this bias towards when you find yourself on the side of the majority, pause and reflect. Um, so I don't like general advice because I think everything is nuanced. Um, so if someone tells me, hey, you've got pericarditis, you can't exercise for four weeks, I go, but why? Like, mm -hmm. why is it four weeks? Like, why am I the same as every single person in the world, right? Like, isn't it more based on, like, what my blood show? Like, until I'm asymptomatic, all these type of things, right? So, anyway, that's one of my biases. And my other bias is I like to triangulate things, right? So, um, you know, obviously the diagnosis is pericarditis. I feel like that there's the possibility it could be a few other things as well. And, obviously, I don't signal high. It's a cardiologist who's told me that. He's got you know, in terms of weighted decision-making, you'd have to weight that, like, 99% kind mm. of thing, right? So I'm probably wrong, i just like to say that, but, like, anything, you've got to triangulate, right? Like, people just might not be right. Or what do you mean by triangulate that? Um, so you get a lot of different opinions. Uh, I mean, I noticed that you've got the book on your shelf, Principles, by Ray Dalio, mm -hmm. right? Like, he definitely was the guy that kind of inspired that whole idea of triangulation, and he had a medical issue as well where he got three different doctors' opinions and made them argue about it on the phone, right? <laughs> and it prevented him getting, like, a huge operation, right? Because they decided that wasn't the best treatment. So anyway, I think I will... Then you kind of go, everything's... By the way, I believe that we don't really know anything. Like, everything's a probability bet, right? Like, I yeah. take a scientific view, right? Like, nothing's 100% true in the sense of... It's all a probability, like, uh, you know, this is the best decision I can make based on what I know kind of thing, or it just hasn't been disproven yet. Like, yeah, I mean, it's science, if you look at Karl Popper and whatnot, was like based or founded on the ideals, right, of falsification, right, trying to falsify something, right? And I would just, I just think one of the biggest issues is that 
everyone lends themselves to confirmation bias. So, you know, you have a thesis, right? Like, let's use this as an example, right? My thesis is I don't have pericarditis, right? I'm trying to prove that thesis. I'm not trying to disprove it. So I'm yeah. already subject to confirmation bias because mm. I'm looking for information that supports my thesis. That's not the right way to do it, right? Mm. That, that subjects you to bias. So I could be, and probably will be completely wrong, but so to answer your question, what I'm looking to do is to downsize the risk, right? If I do kind of have pericarditis, right? It's, you know, effectively inflammation of um, the pericardium and, and whatnot. Well, what's the risk if I train, right? It's, you know, potentially it makes it worse. You could probably have some tension muscular damage according to the, to the doctor and whatnot. Um, so, you know, do you, yeah, do I move the Ironman till later on is probably like a reasonable thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, or is it just um, pleurisy, which is I, I went for a long swim and it was pretty fucking cold and I don't have a huge amount of body fat. So I was swimming with all these other swimmers that are like crazy, like marathon swimmers, by the way. Like some of these guys swim like 15 to 20 kilometers which is just, I find those people the crazy people. Right? Yeah, it's like, oh, wow. in the water as well. Like, I don't understand. Six, what's that, six hours or so in the water? I don't know, but like, it's a fucking long time. Mm. And I'm like, in there as the only kind of triathlon dude, right? And the coach that wasn't, that usually takes it, wasn't there, right? So these other people, I feel like, forgot about me. So then I was in the water for like two hours. And man, when I got out, when I say I was cold, I was fucking cold. Because it was like, I remember looking at the temperature, it was about 18.4 degrees, didn't have a wetsuit on, and man, I took like maybe an hour to warm up in my car, like blasting 30-something degrees, so I think um, that definitely played a, played a part in it. Mm, so you haven't actually decided what you want to do yet, you're just going to test it out, like you're still registered for the mar- for the uh, Ironman in four weeks? I don't think I'll do the full Ironman. Okay. Um, okay, so this is where the ego thing comes in. How cool would it be, right, I fucking do the Ironman, and I go, and you go, fuck, he's badass, right? Like, No, I wouldn't do that. Right. Just but it say, would be baller. I'd right. say you're but that's the story. Idiot. That's the story I tell myself, right? Yeah. Like, if you're just going to be real with it, right, like, I mean, you know, Look at David Goggins, like, it's a pretty fucking cool story, right? He gets to tell people, right, that he ran on broken legs, right? Yeah. Cool story. Question, though, is, I don't know, like, is that really, (laughs) and then you said a good example, blah, 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 blah. Like, there's so many things to kind of consider, and I think it comes down to you and your own, what you want to achieve. Like, it comes back to your goals, right? Like, who do you want to, what do you want to be? And I've spoken to Stephen about this, you um, just... You've got to think about these things deeply from all mm. different angles. Um, and you've got yeah. goals bigger than just doing Ironman in four weeks and looking like a badass. Yeah, totally. You want to achieve right. more in your life. And 100%. That, that right there yep. would be completely not focusing long-term. Like no, that's not longevity about. at that all. That is short-term results. That's that right. That is 100%. only training arms. That is working, <laughs> yeah. buying lottery tickets. Um, that is not about thinking that. about doing all the... Uh, Putting in the hard yards and feet. You yeah. right now, putting yeah. in the hard yards means actually not putting in the hard yards. Mm. It means doing nothing. Yeah. And uh, and resting, that's such a hard thing to do, though, rest every now and then. Yeah, it is, right? It's Especially tough, if you just, like, type A personality, you just want more and more and more. Yeah. You're like, more training, less rest, less yeah. fucking do this, less sleep. Um, you know, sleep's a huge one that I'm focused on now that most people mm. don't focus on. Um, so, hard decision, but I think... I think I'll come to the right decision based on that. But to to tie um to tie this Iron Man yeah. story in a nice little bow, is there any advice that you could give to somebody that is either on 
you know, a similar journey to, to you or someone just, you know, preparing for a marathon, for their first marathon? Sure. Um, yeah, I think number one, right, go from first principles, like reason going, okay, what's the event, right? It's a marathon. Okay, how much time do I have to do this? And how much time is reasonable to do it? Because the thing that I learned, and I can only, when giving advice, it's like this notion of gestalt, which um, comes from a different organization I learned, but you should only speak from experience kind of thing, right? Like, because otherwise, whatever, right? So gestalt. Um, in my experience, the more time you have, the better. So give yourself enough time. Like, everyone I feel like is subject to like over-optimism, like, I'll be able to do this in X period of time, right? So give yourself enough time because think about it. The shorter the time period, the more steep, right? The ramp up of volume, meaning like it's just more likely your tendons or something like that will be injured. Mm. So I think my advice is like A, really enjoy it and B, you know, just be realistic on how long it's going to take. Mm. Um, and yeah, I didn't take my own medicine on that. Mm. Uh, do you think six months or... I suppose yeah. it depends on where people are at when they begin yeah, as well. It depends on, yeah, I guess like it depends, yeah, base level, are they going to coach? Um, yeah. I think, okay, so the other piece of advice I would give as well is I think everyone should get a coach. Not yeah. just in sport, anything you want to get better at, right? Like yeah. entrepreneurship, medicine if you're a surgeon, right? Like if you have a coach, you get immediate feedback on something, right? That yeah. you can correct. It'd be like kind of like me going, right, you know, say like two months ago, John, I saw you do something wrong and then... This happens, by the way, most of the time. And then we have a 360, you know, employee review period, right, where I give you feedback, like, once every quarter, right? And then I go, Jono, two months ago, you made, like, this mistake and stuff. Man, you don't give a fuck. Like, you can hardly remember what happened, like, two days ago rather than two months ago, right? Mm. So it's not very valuable. So if you can give feedback sooner to the action, the better it is, in, in my opinion. So... Having a coach, I just think, is so undervalued, right? Because, mm -hmm. you know, it takes away your own biases and training. It gives someone, like, the ability to kind of give you, I don't know, mentorship, all these type of things. So I think getting a coach is the most important thing. Nice. Yeah, coaching in time. Yeah. Time and mentorship. Yeah. Yeah, man. We all... Uh, I like... You're using a lot of quotes today. It's fun. It's... Um, <laughs> people overestimate what they can do in a year, underestimate what yeah, they can do yeah, in yeah. 10 years. Peter Thiel. Oh, no, I thought it was Tony Robbins, but yeah, everyone's stealing shit. That, yeah. I'm going to write down some quotes from today and say that you said it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember who, who, who did. No, I agree. That's a great, uh, that's a great quote. Yeah, but um, I, I overestimated my marathon and I'm not doing it now. Yeah. Because now I'm being legit thinking that's really going to stuff my knee up for another yeah. two, three months. Mm. Yeah. Instead of the Facebook ego of uh, hey man, <laughs> a marathon, Being 70, out of 78 likes. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's exactly right. Yeah, it's, it's, there's a lot of ego and bravado and all this sort of stuff, but... And I think it's because it's Mountain One, though. Like, a lot mm. of it is Mountain One. It's, it's, well, it's fine. It's, there's no judgment on that. Like, if people want that, go for it. You know, you're only going to really find out if you go, yeah. if you try it out. Yeah, a lot of people start off on Mountain One and then yeah. go to Mountain Two. Totally. NLP, you talk about that, the, the five, yeah. five values levels. That level five of... Um, mm. NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming. I'm a master practitioner in this. It's kind of the study of the brain and behavior, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Nice. Everyone's um, got a certain personality type, a, a values level from like one to eight. Yep. Eight's like the Dalai Lama and ones don't really exist. Uh, three is kind of, you know, 
fuck you, I'll do what I want. Mm. Four is like, okay, um, stay in school, get a job, yeah. go to church. Yeah. Five is very entrepreneurial and growth focused. Yeah. And then level six is very kind of um, group alignment focused and community focused. And a lot of people you'll see will go, and I think yourself and me and Jono and yeah. my coach have gone from that level of growth mountain one, like I'll do what it takes to make a name for myself. And then you realize it's kind of empty. Yeah. Uh, when you're just pushing and pushing and pushing, and like, shit, yeah, I bought a car, <laughs> and there's no one in the front seat with me. Yeah. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah. so that's when people, a lot of people flip over mm. to the, the level six, which is actually much more spiritually focused, much more mm. fulfillment focused. Mm. And um, I can tell, man, just from the way you've spoken today about how you were trying to be a tough guy in high school, mm. and, you know, now all the stuff you're talking about, you've really flipped onto that second mountain, hundred percent. Yeah, well, I'm trying to. I mean, like, I, I would say that. Um, yeah, it's still uh, to your point. It's totally right. Like, I think most people, because when you build mountain one, like, this is like building identity kind of thing. It's right. Like, mm. how does the world see me? How do I see myself? Right. Like, it's that. Uh, I always effort up, but like Jay Shetty, <laughs> he's got some funny stuff. But like, he's like, I'm not who I think I am. I'm not who you think I am. I am who. I think you think I am kind of thing, right? Like, and it's quite confusing. Inception. Just yeah. Like that that yeah, was yeah, Inception. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's pretty much, I'm constantly thinking what I think you think of me. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then I play to that persona kind That's of thing. That's exhausting. That sounds exhausting. Yeah, it but is, we do it subconsciously. We are doing it. If you think about you, like, potentially, um, well, I know for myself, mm. I, um, especially, you know, three years ago before I went into the group and um, was mentored by Stephen Sam, um, I would act differently around different people, right? Yeah. Because I thought those people saw me in different ways, right? And therefore, I would act towards that, right? Maybe that person saw me as, I don't know, some, someone who was good at sport, right? So then I would, that would be the conversation, right? Or maybe that person saw me as someone who's really interested in um, human physiology or something like that. So, so you were being somebody for them, essentially. Yeah, and it's yeah. hard to... because. What do we crave as humans? Acceptance, right? We want this acceptance, conformity, and yeah, there's there's interesting arguments either way because I would also argue, right, that, okay, so like over the last, I'd say, decade, there's this big huge movement towards, I want freedom. Give me freedom, right? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, there is an argument to say that people are drowning in freedom, right? Like, for example, people come out of school and they go, I don't know what the fuck to do, right? Like, that's freedom. Like, they have a choice of what to potentially do, right? Yeah. So there's definitely an argument going, well, maybe people should, at the beginning at least, be told a certain direction, right, to get some data feedback and, and whatnot. Um, I haven't really come to a conclusion on this. It's this idea of um, negative capability, which means uh, holding two opposing thoughts in your mind without contradicting them. Um, and it's, uh, it's difficult to do, but you've got to stick with it. So it's... It's kind of like, I'm not 100% sure if I go, yeah, freedom is definitely, you know, 100% what we want as humans. Because, like, if you just had freedom to choose your values, right, and there was no moral obligation, like, yeah, I don't know, like, if that's necessarily the best thing kind of thing. So it's very context-driven. Um, well, it's definitely chaos. If there was complete yeah. freedom and everything, then that's not, that's not a good mm, thing. Totally. But people will talk about that all they want is freedom, it. right? Like, and I don't know, like... But freedom within context. Yeah. It yeah. means freedom for what we're talking about means like 
I want to be able to travel to Barcelona whenever yeah, I want yeah, to, yeah, and yeah. I want to be able to have my bills paid and own my house in Lane Cove yeah. and <laughs> actually buy as many houses as I want to yeah, uh, yeah, because yeah. I've got a lot of Instagram followers and yeah. that is freedom. So that's right. Everyone's got their own versions of freedom. You know? True, it's right? It is. Different. It's very idiosyncratic. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, I think responsibility is super important, right? To be responsible to something. Yeah. Um, be it a job, a relationship. I mean, we touched on it before, right? Like, if you do look at most of the literature, if you want to, like, um, to not confuse semantics, because I used it before, um, I'm using, in the context of the Happiness Hypothesis book, um, Jonathan, I can't remember his last name, but um, he wrote books. Jonathan Franz. Jonathan Franz. We'll call him Jonathan Franz. But, you know, me. we know that if we're talking about happiness and use this with joy, the best chance of doing that is through relationships. Right, relationships mm. with others and, and whatnot. We know, you know, statistically, and I'm assuming that it will probably replicate or has been replicated. Um, but that is the best way to achieve that. So, yeah. Let's talk about your company. Let's yeah, I, about, hold on. Can we put in a little disclaimer on this first? Of course. Yeah. We've got about ten minutes left. Who I, says? Well, who says? Well, I guess essentially I'm saying that right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, however, there's a reason why I'm bringing that up. Yeah. I want to I want to give Drew a couple of questions. You want to give him a couple of questions? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got to put this motherfucker on a time limit. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, like, I want one and a half minute answers. <laughs> it's like one of those debate bells. Like, let's give him a shotgun kind of approach. Yeah, yeah. Like, bullet, bullet questions. I, I want a bullet questions. You go and let's just get this guy firing. What's the simplest way you can describe the company that you haven't quite founded but you're a very big player of? Shine, Shine is your yeah. company. What's the simplest way you can describe it? Simplest way, good question, um, is that it's a beverage, um, and it's a beverage that's... Focused. Couldn't even say drink. Couldn't yeah. even say drink. Yeah. What's a longer you, word than drink? You'd be bastardizing that. <laughs> What's a longer word than drink? It's a healthy drink that's focused on uh, mental performance. Okay. So What's that's simply that. Um, so ingredients that you know, things like theanine, which you can extract from green tea. So if you drink green tea, right? Yeah. Um, it does have caffeine in it, and say you have three or four cups, right? You don't get the same effect as you would if you had, say, coffee. Um, mm. And that's mainly well, what the research theoretically says is because theanine, if you dose it in a two-to-one ratio, actually mitigates some of the jittery effects associated with caffeine. Mellows it out a bit? Yeah, so if you like, I mean, I don't know if you, you've seen yeah. inverted U hypothesis, like arousal kind of thing, if you go too far on the inverted U, right hypothesis like down here and you have too much arousal you get like really nervous like anxious feeling kind of thing yeah, 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 so yeah, it's yeah, kind yeah, of just yeah. meant to kind of regress that to the mean a little bit okay um, keep you just so, before you flip over to yeah too, kind of thing too perked up yeah too perked up so oh. that's the idea behind it and then it's got things like uh, turmeric and then anti-inflammatory yeah cool green tea and really tasty drink I like yeah. it I like it. It's a great drink. I really enjoy it. It's yeah. in Seven Eleven across the country, folks. And where else? Caltex. And Caltex. I've got it. Oh no, it's not Seven Eleven. Uh, not yet. But um, Woolworths, I had it in Metro, in, yeah. Um, and then yeah, we're going to some Woolies and Coles stores as well. Okay, my question: one minute or less. Drudge wears harder. Drudge wears um, yeah. rewind five, like rewind five years. Who yeah. were you five years ago? What were you doing? Mm. Um, like, what was your your characteristics um, in terms of like what did you want to achieve? Just basically the way you thought five years ago, I want to know the difference. Uh, huge difference. Like I just, who was I? I don't know who I was. Totally being honest. Like I was okay. whoever that person wanted me to be at the time and that value system didn't really have a path. I just 
kind of like got blown. Like, what's that idea? Like, if you stamp, if you stamp nothing, you fall for anything. Um, mm-hmm. So that was me, right? Like, I just didn't have a clear path, um, and yeah, I wasn't happy doing what I was doing. Um, what were you doing? Uh, was studying, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I thought medical school would be the right path because. It's credibility. I like science. If you like science, um, doctors are cool. Yeah, doctors are cool. Go to the hospital, that type of shit. Mm. Um, Although now he's there, like the doctor told me this, but fucking, yeah. yeah. for you. <laughs> I'm gonna show you that I can do a freaking yeah. Iron Man in four weeks. <laughs> but um, yeah, I just, I mean, I'm pretty harsh on myself. Like, I have a lot of negative self-talk to myself. I mean, even I think I was saying to you, like, I haven't learned my lesson on a lot of things. Like, I was, I was telling my body, like. When I was, you know, last weekend, pretty much going, I'm going to make you fucking suffer for making me miss this. Like, that was, like, my self-talk. Like, mm-hmm. I don't, yeah. I don't like, love, like, I'm just not that type of person. Mm. For whatever reason, environment, genetics, whatever it is, right? Um, but I'm pretty harsh on myself, so. Yeah, rock and roll. You know? All right. Okay. Um, are we doing quick five questions? Yeah. Let's think of a quick five question. Uh, three people in your life who have influenced you the most to get to where you are now? Uh, probably Sam Prince. Who is? Um, mentor, founded Zambro in Mexican restaurants. Um, oh, yeah. Doctor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, owner in Shine. Um, and he's got about seven different organizations. Um, Steve Chapman, who obviously is one of the founders of Shine. And then probably, probably still my mum, I'd say. Nice. I met your mum. Cool lady. Yeah, yeah. yeah. fun. She yeah. came on our retreat. On our retreat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. she was helping with the washing She loved it. Absolutely loved it. She was cool. Um, all right. Now, you've been on this entrepreneurial journey with essentially Sam and Steve for yeah. a little while now, like four years? Yep. Since yeah. Yeah. About, about four years. Um, I want to know some, mm-hmm. some takeaways, you know, being in essentially what I like to call and what Gary Vaynerchuk likes to call the dirt, like being sure. in the dirt of entrepreneurship. Yeah. Um, and what do you like about it? Have, have things changed from, you know, four years ago to now? Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think things that I've learned in entrepreneurship, mainly from Sam and Steve. Um, so Sam, I would argue, is one of the most successful from all measures um, entrepreneurs in Australia. Um, and has done a lot of work in uh, philanthropy and, and whatnot. But, okay, number one, business is a reflection of yourself. So most people get into business without truly knowing themselves, right? Like, I think, you know, for example, before I really started in China, I did six months of life biography. So it's this concept in the group where, so Sam comes from a, you know, a Buddhist background, but it's effectively you introspect over your life and you think about things really deeply and you extract values that are important to you. So I went through every school report. I went through interview people, you know, asking questions like, what's the worst thing you can say about me? Um, I've done that shit. That's tough, hey? Yeah, it's super tough, right? And like reading everything that I possibly could, looking at pictures, who are my friends? Why were they my friends? Um, Just life biography, it's, you know, nearly like 150-page document now. It's got the worst things about me. Who wrote this? Yeah, I've written it. Holy shit. Yeah. Wow. Essentially a document that, uh, well, Sam, which is a co-founder of obviously the Prince Group, yeah. Um, yeah. gets you guys to do. It is, yeah, so definitely suggested, but it's by choice. But it's like 
how can you possibly create a business if you don't know yourself like properly, mm. right? Mm. So yeah, that was the first six months before I was even in the group. It was life biography, Steve getting me to do it, mentoring me. Um, so that's the first thing, right? Like know your value system. Mm-hmm. And I'm not just like, fuck, everyone chucks, chucks value system around like fucking anything else, right? But yeah. like, you know, it it's so important because like, yeah, can you be a decent person in an indecent time, right? Well, that's the question, especially in business is like, um, <clears throat> a lot of people struggle with, can you be a kind of a spiritual person or a compassionate person to still make sort of cutthroat business decisions. Mm. And that holds a lot of people back yeah. in business. Like That's a lot cool. of that self-analysis actually cripples people, myself mm. especially. When I, when I went from, you know, working in someone else's restaurant, that sort of thing, to the point where I was having to go out yeah. and ask for people's business and ask for people's money, mm. I had real problems with that because I was like, I used to just be helping people. Now I'm asking you to get paid for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a, it's a tough thing, isn't it? Because I'm like, I'm a really good. I want everyone to love me. Yeah. But now I'm going to say, like, dude, you got to fucking step up sometimes and yeah. and put your money where your mouth is if you want to actually get healthy, achieve what you want. And it took me a while to realize that by being sort of cutthroat sometimes and borderline, you know, making like businessman moves, yeah. you're actually doing it for the right reasons. Yeah, yeah. It's tough to kind of. Uh, 100%. Have you ever had that problem, Jono, when you've gone from personal training and, you know, doing relatively casual business with people to the point where you're doing coaching now and you've got to kind of sell stuff to people Mm. rather than just helping them? Do you have a little bit of a moral conflict around like, oh, shit, I've got to ask for money here? Yeah. I just mean I'm a bad person? Definitely. It's the transition that essentially I'm going through right now. And what I've learned is that every single time I sacrifice my own... um, my own way of the or my own way of doing business, mm. um, I end up losing. And when I end up losing, the client ends up losing because yes. I, I haven't set I haven't set that up the right way. So, for example, I was with a client the other day, and you know potentially I wanted to do some work with her, mm. and she said, "Look, like the way you've planned out, like this three month commitment, I'm not really interested in that, but I would like to." Uh, call you up and whenever we want a coaching session, you know, I'd like to set that up. And a part of me is like this scarcity mindset is going, oh shit, like, yeah, yeah, cool. Like, yeah, whenever, you know, whenever you want a session, you can just call me up. And then I left that coaching session and essentially I spent three days um, working with men in a seminar the last three days with like 10 or 12 guys. And what came up for me was that because I faltered, because I, I wavered essentially from what was my own way of doing things, yeah. um, I want, I'm not a solid guy. So, and that's, yeah. that's what I made. I, I make that mean like, well, there was a person in front of me that wanted it a certain way and then I just went, okay, cool, I'll do it your way. But the reality is two, three weeks down the track, we're going to get into a situation where it's like, you know, we really, I really wanted to commit so we can make the change in three months, not yeah. in two weeks, yeah. not in one session. And, and that won't be happening anymore. Like it's, it's really a kind of clear cut uh, decision for me. It's like, Hey, if you want to work with me, like this is the commitment that we're looking for. And if not, that's okay too. Like we, we might not be the right fit. And when this does become the right fit, let me know. Yeah. It's about like drawing the line in the sand. That's, I agree with that. Like just to give a quick example, like if you look at, um, or if you read Sam Harris's book, Lying, it's really short. It's really good, right? He posits that there's never an appropriate time to lie, even if it's a white lie. Kind of thing. Yeah. 
but that is interesting because it makes everything easier but harder. Makes it easier that you never need to think whether you're gonna tell the truth or not, right? Because if you go, I'm never gonna lie, I'm only gonna tell the truth, right? Every decision's easy, there's no slippery slope, right? There's yeah. no ambiguity in how you're gonna handle that situation. Now, it is difficult because if you agree to that value set, right, you have to stick to it. And that means when, Alex, you ask me if you look good in that black t-shirt, right, and I go, oh, I don't know, it makes your left arm not as big. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's, you just have to be, right, honest, but at least it takes ambiguity away. But, I mean, this is the whole thing. Like, it's the idea, can you be courageous when you're not scared, right? Can you be, is it hard to be truthful when it's uncomfortable, right? Like, mm. values aren't there for when it's good times, right? Like, it is to be a decent person in, in decent time, right? And to revert back to those values. That's the hardest thing. Like, everyone can talk crap about, oh, I've got values, X, Y, and Z, right? Like, show me. Like, I don't believe anything anyone says anymore. Like, I want to see the action, right? And that's just what I believe. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. It's a... Um, it's a it sounds like a cynical thing to say, I don't believe anything anyone says, but it's not really in yeah. that you're just, you put the, a little bit of pressure on everyone else as you do on yourself. Yeah. You, know, you're, you're, you seem to be the kind of person who, you want to prove things to yourself, you want other people to prove stuff to you as well, yeah. that it works, and obviously, I think that's your scientific brain, you're just analytical, you want yeah. to grill people about shit. Yeah. Whereas the skeptic, skeptic. Yeah, yeah. it's the skeptic inside yeah. of him. And I just think like, I mean, it's that idea of like how you do anything is how you do everything, right? Like if I see someone do something once, it's not the first time they've done it and it's probably not going to be the last time they do it yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's just how I think whether right or wrong. I mean, like, it's, yeah, um, nothing's good nor bad, but making things it's so. Um, yeah, that's the Shakespeare quote, right? Like you can interpret anything how you want. Totally. Uh, a lot. You, you've used a lot of quotes. This, this. Uh, I you've butchered a lot of them though. As well, well like, it's all right. But you're willing. And you're yeah, willing yeah, to yeah, give yeah. them a go, which is was quite profound. Can you just speak a little bit about like your reading and also like how you remember these quotes and you know because you've got a way of being that is through other people's perspectives, mm -hmm. be, be it philosophers, scientists, or entrepreneurs, yeah. to communicate a point. Yeah, I think reading is a enjoyable for for me. I like it. It's a introverted activity um it allows me time to think about things um so yeah i read as much as i can i'd like to read more um i don't really read that much fiction but i do read some fiction i mean my my view is like reading is useful because anything that allows you to derive meaning out of something is meaningful right so i try and read as much as i can you know be it during lunch or on the weekends or whatever it is. I mean, one of my values is I love learning, mm. right? So that kind of underpins a lot of things that I do. Learning to program at the moment, doing a Python course. Um, so I just love it. But I think, you know, it gives you perspective, right? Like it gives you, like, think about this. Like people who write great books, Ray Dalio, right? Like he's written that book. That's a, like a life, right, of ex life worth of experience, mm. right, that mm -hmm. you can download in your mind. Like, learning... Totally. Like, university is interesting because all you're trying to do is learn. Like, reason from first principles, right? The reason people go to university is because they want to learn a subject X, Y, and Z, right? But it's not like as soon as you walk into the campus, there's this magical thing that helps you learn anymore, right? You mm. could read the same books and do the same thing and download the information mm. twice as quickly, right? But people obviously like a curriculum, all this type of stuff. So 
for me, learning is downloading information, right? Like if I was a computer and going, okay, how can that help me make better decisions? I mean, we don't have time to get into it now, but I just, I'm obsessed with making better decisions. That's really what I love doing. How do I make better decisions? I like that. Yeah. What's the best decision you've made lately? Coming to this podcast. Absolutely what I was looking for. <laughs> what a we, great, have a what a we have a winner. We have a winner. Great question. Yeah. It's a... Um, Isn't the NLP? Is that yeah. like somehow how it worked? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> We've brainwashed him. He implanted that into your mind. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. This is Inception. Man, it's super fun. Super yeah. fun. And I think... Um, yeah, the, the, the biggest thing about learning any of that shit is taking action on what you've learned. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And use it to make decisions rather than just being one of these guys who's read a million books and is really good to talk to in the pub about anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when, obviously, you've learned a lot of shit and it, it shows in your business and that's the main thing, isn't it? It's mm-hmm. learn a principle and action on that principle. Don't just... And do they have skin in the game? Just the last mm-hmm. point. Like, if I tell you, right that I believe in this low-carbohydrate, high-fat diet, but then I'm not eating that, yeah. why the fuck would you listen to me, right? Like, this mental model of skin in the game, like, are they doing what they're talking about kind yeah. of thing? So I like that. I think that's super important. Yeah. Like, when we were talking about meditation a few weeks ago, and yeah. we both had to admit we weren't doing it as yeah. much as we wanted to do it. <laughs> and uh, yeah. even now, I've slowed down because of my morning schedule's changed, but I'm still uh, mm. making sure I get in one small session a day. It's nowhere near where it used to be, and so I trying not to actively yeah. preach it so much more mm. at the moment because mm. there's a, a funny little story to end on is yeah. um, uh, there's this kid in India like I don't know when the Dalai Lama not the Dalai Lama um, his name Gandhi when, when was Gandhi around? I don't know in the 60s kind of thing let's go with that right in the 60s and there's this kid in India and he's getting really overweight and he's eating too much sugar and too many mm. desserts and his mum is um, this is a great story and his, and his mum's like Oh, you know, you're you're getting overweight. You're gonna get sick. You're gonna die. And we gotta get. I've seen Gandhi on TV. He can fix this. We'll go and see Gandhi. Yeah. And so she gets on like one of those crazy packed trains and travels across like the desert. And you know, getting around India in the sixties probably wasn't that easy. And um, so they finally get to see Gandhi. It takes like a week and a half to get there. Yeah. And she's like, my son's eating too much sugar. He's gonna get sick. And Gandhi's like. Come back in two weeks. I'm busy. <laughs> and uh, she's like, what the fuck? Fuck you, Gandhi. And uh, she comes back in two weeks. And uh, he gives the kid a lesson and talks to him. And the kid stops eating sugar. And she's like, why couldn't you tell me that two weeks ago? And he's like, because two weeks ago, I was eating sugar. And I could not give advice that I wasn't sticking to myself. Yeah, Is, how, do you, how do you spell that? Um, it starts with a G. It's G-E-S-H. Yeah, G-E-S-H. <laughs> something like that G-E-S-H-S-T-A-U-L-T it's, it's, it's like gestalt yeah gestalt. what is it uh, it's like Come a form of, it comes from psychology and psychotherapy yeah it's um I think it's some sort of like German house the gestalt in, uh, in NLP is a collection of memories yeah that you actually form one memory so it's like a generalization oh really so it's, it's in NLP it's like okay um you've met a few I don't know, French people, and you think that they're all rude. Mm. And so your concept of French uh, people goes into like an image of one French person, you know. Interesting. That kind of thing. That's, that's a just In data science, that would be overfitting the data. That's, yeah. that's like, you know, seeing, um, uh, what are you, like a radical, like an Islam radical or something, yep. blowing up, you know, somewhere 
and, and just making the conclusion that every Muslim mm-hmm. is a terrorist. Yeah, but no, from your own memories. We, no, no, from yeah. Your, oh, yeah. But what about the news? Why? Well, yeah, well, that's a memory. That's your own it, memory. Everything's yeah. a memory. Exactly. It's, from your own yeah. experiences, it's uh, creating, it's overgeneralization of, mm. you know, think of a time when you've been angry and you might not even know specifically a time where you've created a memory yeah. Yeah. about a certain thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. If you're not learning, if you're not laughing, you're learning here on the transition. <laughs> <laughs> There's been a lot more learning than we expected. You're a fucking scientist, bro. Uh, Thanks so much uh, for talking to us. We're going to do, no, really do part, part two with Drew. I know he's got like another a bank of knowledge I know. to disperse. Maybe maybe season two is just... Season two, episode one, is just trying, Drew Juez. Uh, like, he's got ten episodes on the transition. I think just trying to get sick of me. Just trying to ask him what he eats for breakfast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nothing, actually. Yeah, <laughs> the Iron Man. Yeah. Like, Bastard. Funny question. And it, it, it comes back to something that uh, Winston Churchill said. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's quite Shakespeare right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, mate, just, is there any final words uh, you know that you, that you want to share with the listeners? Um, I don't really. Like, I think um, everyone's trying to find their own path, right? And um, I just think you've got to try a lot of different things. Everyone's always looking for like the, the best way to do something. Or, yeah. I mean, the, there's no best Magic way. Bullet. There's uh yeah, like it's, it's like, what's the best way to parent, right? Like, I don't know. I'm not a parent, but I'm sure there's a million really good ways to do it kind of thing. So I think don't get caught up in finding the best way. Just start, get some feedback and then make the necessary changes as you go. I yeah. love it. Wow. Good. Wow. You're all doing that. We're, I like to think we're all trying to do that. Yeah. yeah. Or yeah, we're all making better decisions. Yeah. Every single day. Do you want to help us close off season one of the transition? This is it. Love to. This is it. The pressure's on you now, Drew. Can we sing a song? No. <laughs> I would ruin the we whole season if we had to do that. We are now complete with the transition for our final episode, number 20. I'm just talking shit. But what do you want to say, man? It's been a great season so far. 100%. We've had a few great guests on. We've learned a lot of shit. I've learned a lot of stuff with you. Hopefully, some people listening have learned a lot of stuff, and we're not copping out. We're just literally going to go and figure out um, our social media plan. We're going to figure out how to connect up these two microphones, book in a bunch of guests, make our schedule easier as we mm. both get busier. Totally. So we can deliver consistent quality every week. And uh, yeah, we'll be back in like, like a month, I'd imagine. I'm pumped. Yeah, I'm, I'm pumped. looking forward to it. I'm let's pumped. have a, let's have a solid month. Of Boom. Planning. A month. Prep. That's a, that's the sound <laughs> that's of a, a solid fist bump, boys and girls. Ladies and gentlemen, dogs and cats, everyone's welcome here on the on the transition podcast, and uh, we'll catch you next time. You That's it. Round us out with a piece. Yeah, thank you, uh, ladies and gentlemen. This is uh, Drew Wes and uh, Jonathan Brands and Alex Morris signing out. Peace. Peace! <laughs>